attention today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson here on KLWN. we got a fun show today. They're all fun, I hope. Uh, Michael Swain. They, they are all fun. <laughs> They're all so much fun. Yeah. There, huge news this morning. Huge Uh-oh. news. Did you did you see this? I don't know. There's a lot of things that have happened in the world. So okay, huge news on YouTube. The Kansas City Chiefs live streamed painting their end zones. Were you watching? No, I was not. What? Did, did oh, you watch? Can you even call yourself a true Chiefs fan? <laughs> of course, I was watching. What do you mean? And I had that. I was I was locked in. What do you mean you weren't watching? Uh, can you even call yourself a true Chiefs fan if you were not watching? There's the expression that it's like watching paint dry to make something boring, but you found it fun. Well, <laughs> well, that was the joke was they tweeted out who wants to watch paint dry. Okay. And I was like, I'm down. And then they had a live stream. There was like, listen, when I was watching, there was 458 people watching along <laughs> alongside with me. To make 458 good, true Chiefs fans out there. Ugh. Yeah, mark that on the things that I am not interested. Like, I'm wow. interested by I, the final results. I, I don't need to see the process. I can't believe you didn't watch it. That's tragic. No. Uh, but we do have uh, some Andy Kotelnicki, Brian Borland, KU Player Audio because we did get to that this morning at KU Media Availability. Also got Michael Swain of Fog.net. He's going to join us at 340 here to talk a little KU football, some recruiting. We got a KU mailbag coming up in the 4 o'clock hour to which if you have any last-second questions, you can hit us up. Either shoot me a DM, text if you have my number, I guess, or uh, hit me up on Twitter at D Johnson Radio. I'm going to text you a question. Okay, good. Uh, Florida Man Mad Libs in the 5 o'clock hour. We also have our Johnny's Tavern KU Club interview this week with KU Crew, the uh, rowing team for the guys. They'll be joining us in the 4 o'clock hour. The wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is officially live in Kansas just in time for football season. That means betting legally on same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, and more anytime and anywhere across the Sunflower State. To celebrate, DraftKings is giving new customers in Kansas a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on anything, and you get $200 in free bets instantly. Chiefs have moved to a four-and-a-half-point favorite over the Chargers tomorrow night. That scares me a little bit. That's a lot of points for a really good Chargers team. Yeah, it's four and a half now. Is that what you said? Four and a half? Because mm-hmm. it was three and a half. It mm-hmm. opened at three and a half. It's now four and a half. Which Meanwhile, I, I the can Kansas assume... line has gone down. Really? On certain sites, it's down to eight and a half. Oh. It was ten and a half last time I saw. Mm. So which of those Which of those would you like to take the side more of? Chiefs minus four and a half Ooh. or KU plus, let's say, if you get it at eight and a half? I, I mean, KU plus nine and a half is what I had, what it opened at. It went to ten and a half. I would definitely take those eight and a half. I guess it's only one point. I, I would take that. I would take that. What's interesting about the Chiefs line is I assume it went to four and a half because of the Keenan Allen news, but then you have the Trent McDuffie news, which I guess kind of cancels it out, but the line still is at four and a half. Also, it sounds like J.C. Jackson, who is listed as questionable, but seems like he's kind of trending up which gives them another weapon they didn't have in week one. So, I don't know. Right now, I'm kind of leaning the Chargers plus four and a half. I'm not saying really? they're going to win, but that, 
That just feels like a lot of points. I feel like it's a close game. You got two really good teams. Download the Draft uh, Kings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get two hundred dollars in free bets instantly when you place a five dollar bet on anything. That's code KLWN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. Twenty one and older. Physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt in. Money line bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings. Dot com slash Kansas on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. KU's offense was really freaking good against West Virginia on Saturday. Defensively, obviously, they had their struggles, and we talked about this yesterday. A lot more of those came in the first half than they did in the second half. There's reason to believe that this KU defense isn't maybe as as bad as giving up 42 points would would show in that game. But what if Kansas is just like prime Texas Tech? I I kind of asked this to Kevin Flaherty yesterday, but like what if what if that's just what Kansas is this season, which to be clear would be an entertaining style of football at the very least. And yeah. even in a lot of those years where Texas Tech's defense was horrible and their offense was super exciting, yeah, they weren't winning the Big 12 or competing for the Big 12 a lot of those years, but they were at least winning five, six, seven games. Like is that a real possibility here from what you've seen through the first two weeks? Well, let's let's think about it this way. Is it more exciting to win five, six, seven games playing the way Iowa plays or the way Texas Tech would play? Give me Easy Texas, answer. Give me Texas yes. Tech every single time, right? So from that standpoint, yeah, I mean, it would be a lot of fun. And obviously, like you said, if this is the case and this kind of becomes KU for the next couple of years with their offense, it would be very exciting. And obviously, I think most KU fans would happily accept winning four, five, six games over the next couple of years and making a bowl game or two in the next four years, right? That would be awesome. So from that standpoint, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't take that if you're a KU fan. Now, I, I I suspect that KU fans will eventually be searching for more than just that, right? I mean, that obviously the goal is not to be Texas Tech, you know. The goal is to is to go further than that, right? Mm-hmm. So, but in the short term, that would be excellent. That would be really really good. I mean, it's 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 a great way to build your program and say, hey, look, you know, we had three or four seasons where we had a great offense. It would, it would certainly help recruiting, probably. And, th- I mean, think about it. What, what, what's what been KU's biggest problem is, well, I mean, they've had lots of problems, but the biggest problem was that they never had consistent quarterbacks, right? Well, if your offense, if you have a really effective offense and you score a lot of points, I can only assume that is going to serve to entice quarterback prospects to say, hey, I can go to KU and put up a lot of points, play an interesting style of offense under Andy Kolnick or whatever, and score a lot of points. Doesn't that sound more fun, right? Yeah, I think I think you're right in that standpoint. If you have the option, you know, between being one sided on on offense or defense, you do being Iowa or Texas Tech. Yeah, and and it is just more entertaining. And that's part of it too, right? When you're asking fans to come out and tailgate and spend the whole day and watch a three or four hour game and then take time to get home and everything, it's not just about the the experience of were you competitive, did you win or lose? It's were you entertained? You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's yeah. kind of what it boils down to. And this team is going to be very entertaining with this offense. So that's certainly a positive. I, I am curious kind of to the same notion. If if KU's offense is as good as it has shown these first two weeks, and I don't mean they're going to average 52 points per game and be one of the greatest offenses of all time that, that the sport has ever seen the rest of the season, but just in terms of KU's offense being really good. Like, what's the level of how good they need to be if the defense does end up being the worst in the Big 12? 
They and, and I don't know. It. Are they the worst in the Big 12 right now? That remains to be seen. Clearly, they were last year. TCU was really bad also last year, so maybe that's the competition. West Virginia hasn't looked great on that end. I don't know. But if KU is the worst defense in the Big 12, like how good does the offense have to be? Probably really good. I mean, on one hand, if you think about it, though, we've talked about this in the preseason leading up to the year, is the Big 12 offensively, certainly from the quarterback standpoint, is not as great this year as it has been in recent years. So from that standpoint, maybe the offensive firepower, of like holistically, of the Big 12 is not as good this year, which I guess would serve to say that if the defense is bad, it wouldn't be as bad as if it were facing previous iterations of Big 12 offenses, right? I mean... Oklahoma State's got Spencer Sanders. Oklahoma, you figure, is going to have a, be a good offense with Dylan Gabriel. Baylor, obviously, with Blake Shapin. Like, those offenses, you, pre- you figure, are going to be pretty good. But, I mean, there are other offenses, like we heard from Ken Flaherty earlier today, that, or earlier yesterday, that, you know, Texas Tech, their offense might not be as good as maybe we thought it was going to be, or it might just be looking different than what we thought it was going to be. Iowa State had to beat Iowa 10-7, to so how good can their offense be? So maybe maybe we're looking at it the wrong way, and the question of if the level of offense, offensive capability in the Big 12 is lower this year than it typically is, right, then maybe the defense, while being bad, ends up being not that bad. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. It's just like <laughs> it's relative to competition, yeah. essentially, yeah. is what you're saying here. I, um, I do think, though, that, or I wonder, I guess, if we aren't getting maybe just slightly ahead of ourselves with the KU offense, with how good the KU offense can be. We've seen them in two games against an FCS opponent and against the West Virginia team that was without their top cornerback. And, I mean, again, the KU offense was fantastic against West Virginia. I won't take anything away from that. But I just wonder how good we really think the KU offense can be. Yeah. No, I I think that's, that's kind of the root of why this question is interesting to me because – are you really expecting Kansas to end up the number one or number two offense in the Big 12? No. Would it be surprising if they ended up, you know, middle of the pack? No. And and maybe that's good enough. And I guess that's where this comes into play for me. Because if KU is a middle of the pack Big 12 offense, that's that's better than they have been in over a decade. Yes. I've got some numbers for you, Derek. Yeah, okay. KU football points per game in the last three years. 2019. 23 and a half. 2020, 15.78. So really bad. 2021, 20.75. That's over the last three years, right? 2019 was Carter Stanley. Okay. So the question becomes, A, is this KU offense better than 2019 or better than the last three years? I think the answer was probably objectively yes, right? Certainly talent-wise. But how high can they go? Can they average? Is this an offense that can average 30 points a game? 32 points a game? Like, what, what is their ceiling in terms of how much they can average per game? Yeah, no, that's that's uh, an interesting question. It's something that before the season I was like, well, even if you improve by a touchdown, it'd be the most that you've averaged in over a decade. But now it it does seem feasible to me for this team to average 30 points per game. So to average I mean, are 30... They, are they seven points better than Carter Stanley 2019 offense? Yes, because I think... So okay, there there were some ups and downs of that offense. Like there were there were highlights. Like yep. Texas, you put up forty eight. Well, Texas Tech, you're throwing it all over the field. But there were lowlights, right? Like the Kansas State game at home, and you only score I think it was three points, something like that. This team I think is going to be more steady because of the multiplicity and because they have the ability to beat you with the pass or the run. 
So I think from that standpoint, they won't have as many low lows, but there still are going to be lows, right? Like, would it be shocking if against Baylor you go out and only put up 13 points? No, and that's going to kind of hurt you there. Those games are still coming down the road, or a game where maybe Jalen Daniels just doesn't have it, or it's a really good defense and he throws three interceptions or something. Like, that is going to happen. Based on what Kansas has scored, though, so far this season, I believe for Kansas to average 30 points per game at the end of the year, I'm trying to think. I think they would, because to average 30 points per game over 12 games, that's 360 Eric, you, points. You know the rule, man. I know, I know. I'm going to try to simplify this. the first 20 minutes of the show, I'm you can't try, have me doing math. I'm going to try to simplify <laughs> this. So they've scored, I think, 110 points, something like that this year. To get to 30, you got to score 360 in a season. That means you have to score 250 points over the next 10 games. So basically 25. what you're asking. Exactly. That's easy math. See, even you could do that, okay, right? Okay. Yeah, okay, listen. Is you can know, they yeah. average 25 points per game over the next 10? And I think that's more than feasible. And then if you do cross that 30-point plateau, I, it's not just a round number. Like, there's not just a reason that I'm bringing up that number. I, I did some research on this. There was only one team last season that averaged 30 or more points per game that did not win six games. That was Texas, which that's the the ultimate Texas thing. It's like, oh, we were the only team to do this and not accomplish being bowl eligible. <laughs> but they even won five games, which would obviously be the most for KU in over a decade. And that's just not a small sample size. That's not a sample size of saying, how many teams averaged 30 points per game? Was it like 20? No, 52 teams averaged 30 or more points per game last season. 52. And 51 of the 52 were bowl eligible. And the other one wasn't far off from it. And then if we even drop it down just to add a little more sample to it, to 29 or more points per game, the sample grows to 62 teams and only Texas and Buffalo who won four games didn't win six. So again, if you average 30 or more points per game, there's a damn good chance you're going to be going bowling. And doesn't that get you excited? Doesn't that get you excited knowing because this offense does have the potential to it, do that? Yeah, I think it should get you excited because like we were just saying, I think you and I both agree 2019 is probably the most comparable year because KU was stable at quarterback with Carter Stanley, right? Like, like I don't want to look at any year and say, well, KU averaged you know, 15, 16 points per game in 2020, whatever, right? You're, I think in terms of comparing them, you have 2021, which was the first year under Lance Leipold and Nicole Nicky, but I don't really think that's very comparable. So I'm just looking for a stable quarterback year, which is 2019. So to me, that's probably the most comparable because presumably you're going to have a stable quarterback year now with Jalen Daniels this year, right? So then the question becomes, like I said, is this is the 2022 Kansas offense seven points better than 2019? And on paper, they certainly should be. I think they have a lot more talent, right? And like you said, they're probably going to be a lot more consistent because having a good running game lends itself to consistency on offense, mm -hmm. right? If you can run the ball consistently, you're going to have a chance to be in position to score more often than not, which is something KU can do. And like I said, obviously with the pass game, they can do it as well. So, yeah, that that should be very intriguing based off what you just talked about is, is you know, then at that point you figure, okay, well, the defense, all they have to do really is just not be like a bottom 10 defense in the entire country, and you might have a shot at going bowling, right? Yeah. And again, we I've circled back to this a number of times. The way KU schedule shapes up, it lends itself to the Jayhawks getting off to a hot start and winning all their games early. They're staring four winnable games in the face right now, and three of them are going to be at home consecutively. You've got Houston, obviously, on the road, which suddenly looks a lot more winnable after the Texas Tech game. And then you've got Iowa State, TCU, and Duke, right? Those are I, Iowa State and TCU, we just heard from Kevin Flaherty, those are two teams that are in the lower tier of the Big 12, right? And if KU is looking to make a move, those would be teams that they could beat at home. 
So if you look at it from that standpoint, and the KU offense is hot early in the year, and I mean, just bear with me here, they get to five and one or something like that. You only need one win over the second half of the season to put yourself in bowl eligibility. When I look at a comparison, too, because it's not just the 30 points per game, I can go back and look at a Big 12 team from last year that had a really bad defense and had a good enough offense. TCU last season. So this wasn't bowl eligible, but they're 5-7, and seven, so not far from it. And again, if we're judging it from the Kansas lens, a five wins would be the most since 2009. It gets you in bowl contention. Last year's TCU team, they averaged 28.7 points per game. They gave up 35. So if Kansas gets to 30, which is above that, and the defense is still bad and gives up 35 points per game, which might be the worst number in the Big 12 if they were to do that, like that can be enough to win five or six games. So that's kind of where I'm at. Can this offense hit that bar? And that's back to the the conversation about, like if you want to compare it again to that 2019 team, I think... I thought before the season, it would have been tough for Jalen Daniels to maybe amass some of the totals that Carter Stanley put up that year, but I thought they might be kind of close. I'm at a point now where I think he blows past those. Well, maybe not blows past those, but I think <laughs> he'll uh, he'll put up better numbers than that. Um, if you look at the offensive line play, this offensive line is much better than that one was. Now, there still are the questions about the offensive line depth, and we haven't seen that become a question just yet, but we're still just two weeks through the season, so we'll wait and see on that. Receivers, I think you take the 2019 one with a bullet in that conversation, but this year's receivers group I think was probably a little bit underrated. Running backs, yes, you have Puka Williams on that team, but this team is so much deeper there at the running back position. And then if you're looking at tight ends, this team's way better at tight end, whether it's run blocking, whether it's the depth of the position. There's reasons to believe they can't average 30 points per game. I think think the only question that I would have is, just, just based on talking about the stats is, is KU's offense in a position then where they're, I mean, we, we just saw it against West Virginia, but is it replicable in the sense of if they're in a position where it's a close game, can they go down and win a game 49-45 or whatever? Can they go down and score to win to to win a game that's a, that's a close game? I feel game? like they just showed that with they the did. West Virginia They game. did, but is that, is, that, that, is that something that's replicable? I think this week is going to... Like this week for me is the week where I'm gonna be ready to like set some stone predictions. If they, if the offense looks this good again, because I'm already like leaning that way, and I've already pretty much declared that. Yeah, I think I've seen enough. Jalen Daniels is a top half quarterback in the Big Twelve. This Houston defense is a top twenty five defense in the country. They've got an elite defensive line. They play good coverage at the back end. If they put up like thirty plus in this game against that defense. I'm good. No question. I understand. This uh, this <laughs> offense is legit, you know? And, and it already is legit to a certain standpoint. But at that point, I would yep. be saying, okay, this team has what it takes offensively to get to that 5-6 win mark. So it, if, it, if, it's a, if, it's a, if it's like a 38-31 a loss to, to, to Houston, mm-hmm. you're going to be feeling pretty good. Yes, absolutely. You'd what, if, co- what if it's like a what if it's like a 55-31 to 31 loss? Um, I don't think you would be feel like you would have even more questions about the defense. But offensively, unless it was a situation where, where they like, Houston, late. exactly, yeah. if it was like yeah. you had 17 going into the final 10 minutes no, but what if, and they what let if, up. What if it was like, you know, 42-31 mm-hmm. in the fourth, but yeah. then the final score ended up being like, you know, 56-31 or something like that? Yeah, again, I would have serious concerns about the defense at that point, but offensively, I'd be all ready to be on board that, yeah, they are going to average 30 or more points per game for the season. Would you? Um. Yeah, I mean... 
Simple answer, but it was a simple question. <laughs> He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Michael Swain's going to join us in about 15 minutes. We got some KU player audio to get to you coming up next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depending on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer and Derek Johnson here on RCST and joined now by Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports, Fog.net. You can subscribe along to the action and catch up along the season. Obviously, whether it's recruiting, late nights coming up, or if it is catching the KU football season right now. And, and one thing that um, came about that I, I want to bring up to kind of start here, we, we've seen um, some different press conferences, quotes from other coaches, whether it was Dana Hol- Holgerson kind of praising KU and the most recent one, and, and you retweeted this on, on your timeline on Twitter, was the West Virginia defensive coordinator, Jordan Leslie, saying that the most times KU used a single formation was four of them on uh, on Saturday. And and obviously it's something where we mentioned it a lot last year. It felt like, and, and I was obviously a big part of this as well, like every time you had to talk about KU football, it was, well, let's wait and see till they have more time to understand the system and, and get the scheme developed and everything like that. But when you see a number like that where it's like that's how many formations and different things you're going to do in the course of the game, mm. no wonder it took so long. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. And I think that that's something that maybe from the outside, you know, I think people are around KU and most of KU fans understood that. I think a lot of people went from the outside questioning, you know, whether it was a successful season or not. Maybe just didn't know what they were talking about in this case, right? Where all of a sudden I think you see now what made – that Buffalo team so good at running the ball is the fact that they're able to do so much stuff with so many different personnel and formations and things like that, that it makes life so hard on opposing defensive coordinators. And I think Andy Kornacki said it today. He's like, it's incredible what happens when you have a, a, a spring that you can actually like build stuff and not have to install during the course of a season. And going to the Houston game now, KU can tweak some of that stuff, right? Where they found what they had success with last week against West Virginia. Well, now they get a full week where instead of having to put in more plays, they can just tweak the plays that worked against West Virginia and be able to deploy them against Houston this week. And I think this week you're seeing how well-respected this coaching staff is, whether it's Lance Leibold getting mentioned with the Nebraska coaching search, whether it's, you know, someone like Jordan Leslie, the West Virginia defensive coordinator, raving about the offense and looking somewhat defeated, I think, in that press conference, too, having to admit that. And then you've got Dana Holgerson saying that Key is a whole different animal. I think you're starting to see that this KU staff is super well-respected nationally, and it's the first time in a long time that that's been the case. So moving forward with the multiplicity, like how do you envision this happening? Do you envision with the success they had of the triple option – or, or however you want to call it, the spread option. I don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, do you envision that being something that we see a ton of in the Houston game? Do you view it as, hey, now all of a sudden they've got Houston's attention to that and they're going to do something completely different? Do Do we have any idea what the offense is going to kind of look like moving forward? Well, I think to some degree, week to week, it's going to change because you look at the way that Andy Kornick has talked about it, right? Being multiple is kind of his buzzword that he talks about a lot, but what does that mean? Well, it means you kind of take what a defense is and you try and create situations where the defense is at a disadvantage. Well, West Virginia's defensive front is probably the best KU is going to go against in the first six weeks of the season. So how are you going to make them get off balance? Well, they use those option plays. And so I think for a team like Houston now, you're looking at them having an elite pass rusher who, of course, his name now escapes me, but um, he's got like Derek seven Parrish. tackles for loss, five, mm-hmm. 
that's it, right? Seven tackles for loss, five sacks. Um, well, now you got to find a way to keep Jalen Daniels clean against someone like that. So I think this week maybe you'll see a bit more play-action stuff to keep a pass rusher like that off balance. So I think you're going to see some of the same concepts, right, whether it be the triple option, the spread option, like you said, however you want to call it. I think you'll see that, but I think you're going to see different tweaks week to week on how Andy Kordonecki wants to make a defense under pressure. Mm-hmm. Is that the biggest matchup of the game for you? Is it Jalen Daniels or, or the offensive line going up against that Houston uh, front four? 100%. I, I think it is because you look at Jalen Daniels so far, he really hasn't been tested in terms of making decisions under pressure. And I think you look last year, I think he was decent at it. You know, I think that he threw some interceptions there, you know, final three games of the season. And so far this year, he's been really clean and he's been super efficient when he's been kept clean. So I think for KU, that's going to be a huge matchup, whether, it, you know, that he lines up over someone like Earl Bostic or Bryce Cabadu, like it doesn't matter. He's going to be a force that KU has to take advantage of. And so I think you're going to see KU do a lot more of that play action, put that player in conflict to where he can't just, you know, rear back and get off the ball as fast as he can and get after the quarterback. I think he's going to be someone that's going to be put in conflict a lot because he's just a really good player. And I think in terms of the individual talent, you know, Dante Stills from West Virginia is really, really talented as a defensive tackle. Well, I think he's uh, just as equally talented as an edge rusher. When you look at the start Jalen Daniels has had, it's obviously been remarkable. Look at total QBR, pro football focus grade, individual stats, whatever it is. He's, he's jumping out on a, a lot of these numbers lists. And when you go forward, like for this week specifically, I think is interesting. Obviously, Clayton Toon was a, a former KU commit. Does KU mm-hmm. have the advantage at quarterback on a majority of their games? Is that crazy to say? Not crazy to say. I think over the first six weeks of the season, they, they probably do. Because I, I think you take Jalen Daniels over 100 Eckers from Iowa State. I think you take Jalen Daniels over either one of TCU's quarterback, Morris or Duggan. And I think you take him over Tune. And I think JT Daniels might be a, a toss-up. It kind of depends on what arguments you want to make. You know, I, I think that's probably close. But I think that KU does have a, an advantage at quarterback. And as wild as that to say. Like, it's been so long since you've been able to say that because for how many years has it been? Well, who's going to be KU starting quarterback? Oh, well, this guy starts well. Three weeks in, it's a different guy starting now. So the fact that Jalen Daniels has looked like this is super encouraging for KU. It's something that, you know, Derek, you and I have talked about a bunch going into the season. Is like, what happens if Jalen Daniels is, is a top half of the Big 12 quarterback? Well, he's looking like a top three, top four quarterback right now. It depends on, you know, if you want to count Quinn Ewers in there as well. So, I think it's huge for KU, and to have a quarterback playing at the level he is is great. Interested to see what happens when KU goes against better secondaries, though. That's just the one thing I wonder is West Virginia's secondary is a weakness. They were without their best cornerback. You know, KU rightfully took advantage of that. What happens when they go up against Oklahoma State later and that talented secondary? What happens when they go against Oklahoma or Texas and the talented players that they have? So I think there's still maybe some stuff that you're wondering with Jalen Daniels, but I think just about every question that he's been posed with so far this season, he's answered, and that's incredibly positive. All right, more likely, Jalen Daniels, first team All-Big 12, or Jalen Wilson, National Player of the Year in basketball? Oh, man. Um, I think you're going to have to say Jalen Wilson, National Player of the Year, because I think that you look across the Big 12, I could make an argument for Jalen Daniels. I just don't know if Key's going to win enough games. And if, as the season progresses and the competition increases, 
is this efficiency going to stay and are these wide receivers going to continue to get open? Because I think that's one of the things that's been super positive is the level of play of the wide receivers. I think they've helped them out to some degree in terms of their ability to A, not drop the ball, and B, just get open, period. So he's not having to make tight window throws. So I think I would take Jalen Wilson because there's just a pathway to that, right? You go back to the Final Four, Jalen Wilson's Big 12 player of the year. He has a really good season. I think there's just a clear path for that to happen and for J.D. to make it. Um, when I look at the the defensive side of the ball for KU, obviously they, they maybe showed some warts in the West Virginia game. How, how much of that do you attribute to, hey, they're just not great defensively yet, like they could still be better but still not be great on that end? How much of that do you just attribute to, well, really that was their first game against like real competition on that side of the ball and things should get better? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that you look going into the season, right, your worry was cornerback, and I think that that was proven on Saturday night that, you know, someone like Ford Wheaton can have a really solid game, and West Virginia was able to kind of beat KU a few times. I think that the cornerback position is still one you're a little you're a little concerned about, right, as the talent gets better and you face better wide receivers. That's something I'm on my eye on. But I think the most encouraging part, honestly, defensively for me, is you look at the run defense because, you know, you basically cut – last season's you know yards per game or yards per carry in half last year they allowed six right now they're averaging about three yards per carry west virginia was able to get 3.8 yards per carry against them not a ton of tackles for loss but KU did not allow a big play uh, i think they only had one explosive run west virginia did which is a run over 10 yards so i think for ku it's one of those deals where hey you had your first test of the season against west virginia you know what you need to fix but there's also some stuff you can throw up on the bulletin board and say hey guys, we made some really good improvement here kind of through the first two weeks of the season. Let's make sure we keep this up, and if we can sure up other parts of the defense, and all of a sudden you're looking at a team that all around I think would be in a really good spot. When you look at a lot of the transfers they brought in on that side of the ball, maybe not playing as, mm-hmm. as much as you would have thought right now. O.J. Burrow's out snapping, Marvin Grant, Lorenzo McCaskill, and Eric Gilliard haven't really cracked into that rotation. Kalon Gervin, that's been maybe the biggest surprise of, of the transfers not playing to me because of you know maybe some of those questions that you mentioned with the cornerback position. Which of those transfers that hasn't really cracked a, a big role into that do you are, are you maybe most surprised by, and is there any of that group that you feel like the path is still there for them to do that? Yeah, so uh, the path is still there for someone like McCaskill and Marvin Grant and even you know Callan Gervin to some degree. I, I think for me... Someone like Eric Gilliard, I think, I never really thought that he was going to be the guy that is getting a ton of, you know, snaps, basically. I think he was going to be a depth piece, and that's a good part, you know, player to have as a depth piece. But I think for someone like Kalen Gervin, it's interesting, because I think you, if you want to go to those total snaps, right, Marvin Grant's in the top 11 in terms of total snaps, and Kalen Gervin is number 12 in terms of total snaps. So those guys are the two most used kind of rotational pieces and considering the fact that someone like Marvin Grant first time he was playing with this team was August 3rd I think is fine to understand that hey maybe he's not going to hit the ground running and that it's going to take midway through the season to where maybe when that really tough stretch of Texas Oklahoma Baylor comes that maybe Marvin Grant is able to play more but I think he's been pretty straightforward with him especially with him and OJ saying that, hey, we're going to kind of go matchup dependent. And West Virginia is a better passing team than I think running. And they decided to go with OJ in that game. And so I think there will be games where 
guys like you know McCaskill and Gilliard and Grant will play a lot more than they maybe are, and it just is going to be depend on the matchup. Guys are going to get banged up over the course of the season, so. I honestly don't think it's like something you should be panicking about. I think it's a good thing that KU has guys coming in with hundreds of snaps under their belt in their career, and for some of them, hundreds of games in their career, um, you know, being able to come in and be depth pieces because that means that those young guys that you have are either better or are playing better, which is, again, just a positive sign for the overall depth and being able to withstand some injuries. Well, so first part of what I'm about to say here is that, like, you're mentioning with the injuries, like there will be injuries and also mm-hmm. certain guys will start to figure it out, the the playbook or scheme maybe a little bit more, and some of those transfers will start to get more time. So I, I don't expect it to necessarily be like this for everyone the rest of the season. But just hypothetically, and, and also I should probably mention, I don't think the KU staff honestly actually cares about this because we've heard before, like it is all about creating the, the culture of – uh, competition and everything, so they're mm-hmm. not going to view it from the way of we need to baby these kids and, and play everyone. But from a from a recruiting standpoint, obviously, you know, you, you run in a lot of these recruiting circles. Do you think that would be a, I guess, negative recruiting tactic that maybe other coaches or parents could see against KU if you do have all these transfers that just came in and you look down the depth chart and Kai Thomas is only getting two carries last game and, and all those defensive guys we talked about and Doug Emelian isn't really hitting the field a ton right now. Could you envision that happening for the next transfer portal cycle for KU? Oh, I'm sure people would use it against KU. Um, I just don't think it matters because the staff is so upfront with these players during the recruiting process saying, hey, you have to come in and earn it. Right? They're not promising someone like Savion Morrison or Kai Thomas, hey, you're going to start, hey, you're going to get as many carries. The conversation is, hey, if you believe in yourself, come here, prove it, and play a lot. And for some of the guys, it's just a tougher situation in terms of the timing of when they arrived. And for others like those two I mentioned in the running back room, you've got guys that have really stepped up. And so I think it's one of those deals where, yes, other teams will use that against KU, but does that actually have an effect given the fact that KU is just very upfront and honest with these players during the transfer recruiting process? I, I don't think so because – they're being told a certain thing, and the certain thing they were told is exactly how it's playing out. So it's one of those deals where I think, too, you look at it, and these guys all have multiple years left. And I think that once you get them a year in the system, you know, Douglas Million, for example, right, you know, gets here, fall camp's first time working with the guys on the field. Great. Learning the offense. Well, he's got four more years of eligibility left in my memory serves. So he's someone that next year, probably will be in a better role because he will know the scheme and be able to compete from day one for that starting spot and not have a learning curve. So I think it's one of these deals where, yeah, you're right. It will be used against KU, but it's too early to judge. And I think also KU is just so honest with them that it don't think it really matters. Uh, anything on the recruiting front, whether football or basketball, that, that people should be on the lookout for here? Yeah, the basketball staff's out and about um, doing a lot of recruiting stuff. Um, you your listeners will find this funny. KU talked to Bronny James earlier this week. That's not going to happen. But interesting that KU still kind of in conversations with them. Obviously, they're going to go see Mikey Williams today, who was uh, on campus for an official visit back in the summer. Um, Bill Self and Curtis Townsend are both on the road, so this is not something where they're uh, self-imposed sanction or uh, not recruiting thing that happened in June. That's not happening right now. They're both out on the recruiting trail. So, Basketball recruiting heating up, and senior seasons are underway, so KU's starting to evaluate some more seniors for this 2023 class. Yeah, you mentioned Bronny James. Is that a thing where, like, obviously LeBron has, uh, I don't know, millions and millions of dollars from from Nike. Is it just impossible mm-hmm. for him to end up at a, an Adidas school? 
I think so. I think you hit it on the head. There's a reason he was at Ohio State, uh, I believe, in that <laughs> school. Okay, okay. Uh, I do have one more uh, either or for you before I let you go. I can't mm-hmm. let you off the hook with which is one of those. Um, so this will this will get you thinking. More wins for Kansas football by late night in the fog, which is a, a month from today. So I think that goes through the TCU game. Um, mm-hmm. Or attempted threes by Zach Clements in said late night in the fog scrimmage. Oh, give me late night in the fog. Are you kidding me? Zach Clements in that type of environment, he's only going to shoot threes. Okay. Well, Michael, I appreciate the time as always, man. Go subscribe, fog.net, 24-7 sports. Appreciate it, man. Awesome. Thanks. Always enjoy it. That was Michael Swain. Again, you can check out all his work, fog.net, 24-7 sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. We get to our KU mailbag next. Four o'clock hour coming up. We'll have our KU Club interviews brought to you by Johnny's Tavern with the KU crew. I don't know if I call them the team, club, whatever it is, but a cool conversation with them. So that's coming up later this hour. We've also got some Brian Borland audio to get to you, the KU defensive coordinator. Coming up in the five o'clock hour, Florida man Mad Libs as well. But we have a KU mailbag. Some questions have been submitted. Thank you to everybody who did submit them. And uh, the first of these is from Devin. Devin asks, you're drafting the entire KU football team. Who goes top five? So I guess the first part of this is that I don't know the direction of this. If this is viewed from like a NFL, I'm drafting them because that's obviously different. You're projecting, but let's just say you're drafting them as would, in like I was viewing it as like to yeah. build a college team. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That, that's yeah. how I view it. Yeah. Um, and also, I'm not drafting from a standpoint of like, oh, who has more years left. I'm just okay, drafting so we're for like not this doing year. Eligibility. No, okay. just like draft for this year to make a good team. Okay. I think Jalen Daniels obviously has to be one. Probably, yeah, it would make sense. Quarterback, valuable player. I mean, He's been really good. I think you could get away with drafting like other players and then circling back to like Jason Bean. I just I I do understand what you're saying and that the Jason Bean is still like solid enough that you wouldn't have to worry about just be completely buried there. I just think Jalen Daniels is that good and yeah, there's a reason quarterbacks go high in in drafts. So I I would say Jalen would have to go number one. Pass rush is such an important position to me. Lonnie Phelps would go too. I mean, he's, he's probably the best defender on the team. Makes sense. Second best player. After those two, though, that's where things get a bit more interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. you could definitely argue for, like, Devin Neal. You could go for the O-line to protect Jalen Daniels. You could go for Kenny Logan. Uh, Rich Miller is, has looked really good early in the season. He's, you know, if you're looking for a tackling machine, potentially you could go there. There's There's some options. I think that it's tough when you try to figure out where Devin Neal would go. That's the one to me where it's toughest because you could argue that like Devin Neal is one of the two best players on the team. But when you look at, you know, we talk about this in the NFL draft, like not using a first round pick on running backs. And also you look at it from a standpoint of like, I guess if, if this is an exercise where I'm drafting against you or somebody's drafting against someone else of KU football players, if you don't take Devin Neal top five, you can still get a really good running back later. Yeah, that's true. You could draft, you know, Highshaw or Morrison or somebody like that much later on in the draft. So it is it is interesting uh, in terms of where you would go with that. But I still feel like you'd have to take him because, I mean, if you're going to take Jalen Daniels, you're going to need another skill position player pretty quickly, I would say. 
in your drafts. Mm-hmm. So that means in the top five, maybe with your like your fourth or fifth pick, you're probably taking a running back or a wide receiver. Which leads me to the next question of would would a, would a wide receiver be a bad pick? Would Luke Graham be a bad? Because before you stipulated that this was just for this year, yeah, I was going to say you know if you're drafting for eligibility purposes, somebody like Quentin Skinner might be a guy you would pick at that at that point or something like that, right? But if you're looking at it from just this year, would, would a wide receiver in the fourth or fifth slot be a bad pick? Because again, I, I think this is this is my standpoint. If you're taking Jalen Daniels number one overall. You're gonna have to draft a skill position player in the top five, I think, to go along with him. Am I wrong? Um, I guess here's here's the thing with me to that same notion. Like, I don't think you are wrong. Like, you could you could. I guess that's the short answer here. You could take a receiver if you wanted. Okay. The problem for me is, and this honestly might apply for every single other position on the team outside of quarterback with Jalen Daniels, outside of pass rush with Lonnie Phelps. I, I guess maybe you go Kenny Logan might be my answer for number three. Every other position on the team, you can easily say, oh, but if you don't get that guy, you get that guy who's close in competition, right? With, yeah. with running back, we mentioned it with Devin Neal. Oh, well, Daniel Highshaw put up big numbers in the first two weeks as well. Yeah. Or and like at linebacker, Tom, right? At linebacker, you have Lorenzo McCaskill. Exactly. You have like the separation between the number one guy to the number two guy at a lot of these positions is not that much. Offensive line, it's like... Maybe I want an offensive lineman, but Earl yeah, Bostic. exactly. Which one do you take? Because yeah. I, I honestly might go Mike Nowitzki, number three or number four. Yeah, I mean, he's been really good to start the year. It's yep. nice to have that anchor of the offense. But then you're talking about the the positions that matter the most, and offensive tackle is a more, I guess, important position, so to speak, than center. Like if you just talk about. Okay, uh, I think it's NFL scouts say this. It's like the most important thing is the quarterback. Then it's who's going to get the quarterback, who's going to cover the, uh, or who's going to quarterback throw to, who's going to stop that. Like there's this list of most important positions, and it becomes difficult because again, it's like, oh, well, if I don't take um, Luke Graham or Lawrence Arnold, I'll just take Quentin Skinner or I'll take whatever it is. Yeah. So I I honestly don't know if I could give you a top five. I just uh, Jalen is the clear number one. Yeah, J- I think Jalen and Lonnie Phillips are both guys that you're going to take. I-, I would probably argue you could slot Devin Neal in there. I don't know if you take him three, but yeah, I think there. After that, there's a lot of different ways you could go based on what you're trying to do or what what the team looks like. And there are some guys like Lorenzo McCaskill who we may not even know how good they are right now. So it's like then you would have to do like a redraft later on where you would take him, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or something fun, something crazy like that. So it is it is interesting. But yeah, I think given the importance of the quarterback position, Jalen Daniels makes a lot of sense. You could get away with Jason Bean, but you know. Does Jason Bean just go second because the value of the quarterback? You know, QB oh, that's true. one so and if, two. So if we were drafting yeah. against our against each other and like you take Jalen Daniels, well would I then be forced to take Jalen B- Jason Boone the second pick? Or no, because would you then be I like, could just wait, wait. To take him forever. Or I could not, just be a jerk. I could take him with my next pick, <laughs> and then you'd be screwed over. <laughs> then I then I'd have to roll out uh, yeah, either what, Ethan Vasco ben, ben or Easters. Ben Easters, which yeah. you know I uh, I'm high on what Ethan Vasco can be, but I don't think right away here is the true freshman. Uh, okay, this next one from Scott. Give a percentage you think Lance Leipold would end up at Nebraska if 
First part of it, KU goes three and nine. Then there's KU starts four and zero. Oh, KU goes bowling to six and six, or KU goes bowling and wins seven or more games. Um, let's start with the three and nine part. Zero. You think it's zero percent? I think it's zero percent. There's a chance. Are you kidding me? No, zero. Absolutely no chance. Do you remember when uh, Gene Chizik got hired by Auburn uh, and they won a title, and then it ended terribly? But okay. His record at Iowa State was, like, abhorrent. Okay. And, yes, it was kind of hard to explain to the fan base because they looked at the— but but it was, like, it was one of those things where it was, well, look beyond the record. He was at Iowa State, which stunk. He went he went 5-19 and 19 at Iowa State. 3-9 and nine one year, 2-10 well, and 10 the next, and got think, hired by Auburn. Let's think about this. That Lance, would be the same thing yep, that Lance Leipold would do in this situation. He's, he was 2-10 and 10 last year, and he'd be going 3-9. and nine. Yeah. I don't. I don't think it would happen. No, I'm still sticking with my. I'm still sticking to my guns here. Zero percent. I mean, I'll, I'll say it would have to take like 20 guys turning down the job. Okay, so the Not first 20. It would have to take like four guys. Well, the first part of this is right now he's 10 to one odds. Uh, that basically implies what that it's a 10 percent chance. I don't know if that's how the odds work. I'm, let's just go with that. Okay. Let's imply that right now it's a 10 percent chance. Okay. But that's under the idea that maybe they think Kansas is going to win four games at this point because they beat West Virginia and the over under was already two and a half. That was a game they weren't supposed to win. So maybe they're up to four games, right? So I think at three and nine, I would say five percent chance, maybe like three to five percent. Okay. KU I'm starts. Sticking, I'm sticking with zero. If KU starts four and zero, oh, I'll go five percent here. Because I'll, we hmm. talked about this, they have, their their schedule is very friendly to start the year. So four and zero oh is is actually I don't think that far out of their own possibility for them. Halfway there, right? So if they do that, but then they could they, even if they start four and zero, they could still finish the season five and seven, or, yeah. or I mean, technically, I guess they could finish four and eight. I mean, I I don't think that would happen if they were four and zero, but they but you know what I'm saying like they could yes. still start four and zero and still finish the season with a not a great record. So I'll go five percent. I would say at that point it's like ten percent for me. Ku okay. goes bowling. I'll go fifteen percent. On this one, because as we've discussed with the whole Nebraska situation, the longer that they drag their feet on finding somebody or narrowing down their lists, and that coincided with the more success KU has, increases the chances that they would be interested in Lance Leipold, increases the chances that they could sell him to the fan base, to the donors, whatever, the boosters. So if KU goes bowling, certainly it goes up, but I don't, I think 15%. I think that's around the right number that I would go with too, because that puts him at like six or seven to one odds, which would be raising where it is now. Yeah. But it's not quite to the number like Matt Campbell's the favorite at four to one. So I think that is the right number there. And then KU wins seven or more games. I'm gonna stick with fifteen percent unless it, they go like nine. If it's and like three. nine, yeah. Yeah. Unless they go nine and three or like ten and two, then I would say maybe it's like twenty to twenty five percent range. So, with the 7 or 8, yeah, I think it goes up to 20 for me, maybe even more, maybe 25. If you get to 9, is there a number? I guess this is interesting to me. Is there a number where it starts to go the opposite way? Because along the way, the more wins they've had, the better chance it is for Nebraska. But is there a a number that it goes the opposite way to where Lance Leipold would say, I have things better here? You know what I mean? No. If they go 12-0, he's not saying, why would I leave 12-0 for Nebraska? Well, 
Obviously, that's <laughs> no. I, I I know. I I took it to the full extreme. No, I understand what you're saying, but like, I I don't know. I mean, like we had this discussion off air earlier. It's like where where does Nebraska rank as a job right now? Is it is it a top twenty job? Is it well, it's certainly higher job? than Kansas. It's certainly higher than Kansas. But is it a top? You know, there was a time twenty years ago where Nebraska was a, maybe a top ten job in the mm-hmm. country. Where is it at now? Is it top twenty? Is it top twenty-five? Uh, probably still top twenty-five. You consider the Big Ten; they're going to be making a hundred million dollars a year. They do have they great fan support. They have the sellout. longest sellout, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, they're going to be paying, able to pay a lot of NIL money because facil- of the money. Great, great facilities, facilities, right? You still do have the, gonna, the tradition. They would probably pay Lance at, at least twice, if not yeah. more, what he's making. Getting a lot of money. Like I, I don't know. I mean, if KU goes twelve and zero, yeah, and like they're in the college football playoff, then. Well, the, the only thing that's not there with that job, I, I guess not the only thing, but one of the main things that's not there is the quote-unquote job stability of like, hey, look, Bo Pelini won all these games, then he got fired. Yeah, I'm just true. telling you, though, coaches who are competitive never think about it from a standpoint of, ah, oh, man, if I'm only okay at my job, I could get fired. Because every coach is a competitor, and they're going to think, no, I'm going to be the guy to turn this around, as you should. Well, and beyond that, like, even if you do get fired – Ed Orgeron got seventeen million. Seventeen <laughs> million bad. dollars. And Ed Orgeron could probably get a college head coaching four. job. To be eight and yeah. four. He was eight and four for whatever however many years. Seventeen mil. Anyway, we took a bit of a side quest on that one. Uh okay, this <laughs> one from Victor. Better chance to be drafted eventually. Jalen Daniels or Jalen Wilson? I like this. This is cool. This one's interesting, but I do think the answer is Jalen Wilson. There's more because, rounds in the NFL. Uh, I let me get to that. Let me let me get to that. Let me lay out the picture for you here. I think it's Jalen Wilson because of KU basketball and because Jalen Wilson has a chance to be, you know, like a a national player of the year type player or a Big 12, you know, first team All-American type player, which would then at that point, I don't want to say virtually guarantee he gets drafted, but he would get drafted presumably if that if that did happen. And on the flip side, if you're if if you were going to take Jalen Daniels, you would be betting on the fact that there are, you know, 300 players taken in the NFL draft versus 60 in the NBA draft. Like, that's what you're betting on, basically. It's like Jalen Daniels would have a good enough couple years at KU that he could get drafted in, like, the fifth, sixth, or seventh round of the NFL draft. That that would be – that's what you're betting against, right? I still think it's more likely that, that Jalen Wilson gets drafted, even with even if you're betting against just that. I still think it's Jalen Wilson. I mean, if this keeps up with Jalen Daniels, it's, it's hard not to say that he would be drafted. But, yeah, the question is with Jalen Wilson, I think he would have – Maybe been drafted if if he went out into the draft this yeah, year. He already tested the waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's also a world where you're another year older, and if you don't like, if you have a good season but not the great season, and the shooting doesn't come around, then maybe he's not a guy who gets drafted. And then maybe it is Jalen Daniels. I do agree though, Jalen Wilson. It just feels like that's that's closer to actually being realized. So I think you go with the the more for sure thing there. This one from Nathan, you get an all-expense-paid trip to a KU Bowl game. What bowl do they play in? Whatever the bowl's in Hawaii. I think it's the Hawaii Bowl. The Hawaii Bowl. <laughs> give, me the, <laughs> give me the Hawaii Bowl. <laughs> give me the Hawaii okay, Bowl. See, or what bowl is in Orlando? I would go to Orlando. Go to, like, Disney World or something? Yeah, um, Disney World. Or even, like, we were, like we were Camping World Bowl it. or something. The Even, like, Phoenix. Or the Outback really Bowl. Cool. Even Phoenix would be really cool. Well, what about the uh, Bahamas Bowl? That's not even oh. a Big 12 tie-in, but... I don't know. Weird things that could in, happen. Okay, dumb question. Huh? Is that in the Bahamas? Okay. Listen, <laughs> I didn't know. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Well, okay, but here's the here's the other thing of this. 
I would totally go to the Bahamas. Give me sign me up for that one too. Well, I, I think part of this question though isn't just like what do you I've want a, your best vacation I've, to be. I've got it's, a really bad farmer's tan, so I need you know I'd like to go somewhere. But here's where part I of this: Would you exchange going to a worse place if it means KU had a better season and goes to a better bowl game? Um, no. <laughs> You're like, give me the Hawaii trip. I don't care if they're well, in the in the. I, don't, uh, I mean, I don't know, Sugar Bowl or something. Oh, okay. Well, okay. If it's like if it's like a New Year's Six bowl, yeah, I would probably rather take that. So, what's the worst site for a New Year's Six? I mean, all of them are like fine locations. But like, I don't want to go to like. I mean, there's like you could go to like Philadelphia for whatever bowl they have there, or you could go to yeah. like. I mean, the good, the cool thing about the bowls is honestly, most of the bowl locations are like pretty cool places which i assume they do that on purpose no i think i think you have to take the rose bowl here because that's a guarantee Ah, it's a new year six who who knows maybe it's that would be the best bowl that would be the best bowl and it's not quite hawaii or something but you can still go to the beach in california you're still gonna get good weather i think that has to be the answer but if you just want the personal interest yeah it'd have to be like the hawaii bowl or the bahamas bowl this one from aaron what has to happen other than ku beating houston for college game day to come to the kansas duke game all right, so here's the bad news. Duke plays North Carolina A&T this week. And the reason that's bad is they're going to be 3-0, but they're going to be 3-0 having played North Carolina A&T. Mm-hmm. Right? If Duke was playing like a top 25 team Got this some week, buzz around it. Yeah, and like they won by, by me in. Duke would have to beat North Carolina A&T by like 120 <laughs> for, it to, for it to be in, in the conversation of, of coming to Lawrence. Listen, your best bet for college game day is, is Texas at Kansas later in the season. Kansas could be, you know, five and three or whatever, five and four. Texas will be Texas. That's your if you're looking for a college game day, that's the one you're looking for. Ooh, what if uh because Iowa State plays Baylor the same week KU Duke. What if Iowa State upsets Baylor? I don't okay. know who Iowa State has this week. So Iowa State's undefeated going into the Iowa State game. Kansas beats Duke and Houston, both of them are undefeated. Iowa State at that point is probably ranked. KU might be receiving votes. That could get it done. Iowa State is playing Ohio this week. Okay, but the question specifically is for the Kansas-Duke game. So for that to happen... You'd have to have like, here's, here's all the, the other games, games have yeah. have COVID and get canceled or something. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's some of the other big games. Clemson at Wake Forest. You look at both their schedules, hard to see either one of them losing this week. So... That's going to be a ranked game. Florida-Tennessee right now is a ranked game. Arkansas-Tennessee is a ranked game. Or, or Texas A&M, excuse me. Uh, Kansas State at Oklahoma. By the time we get to next week, K-State might be ranked. Yeah, and that, you have the, that to me seems like the most likely. Yeah, you have the Brent Venables tie-in, too, to Kansas State. That feels like it is going to be the one. And then USC at Oregon State. I I, I don't think they'll do that. But, game day is not going to Oregon no, State. No, probably not. But Oregon State might be ranked. They're, they're receiving votes right now. They've been pretty good. USC is ranked, but yeah, I, I don't think that would be the one that they would do. Um, Here's what I think you would need to happen. I think you would need Coach K to say, I'm unretiring and coming back and bring <laughs> a bunch of like headlines around Duke, and then you need Bill Self to land Bronny James, even though Michael Swain <laughs> just said that's not going to happen, and then you have all these sort of headlines with basketball. Both football teams are good. KU has to beat Houston. Both are 3-0. and College game day can come, make all their jokes about, no, we're not here for a basketball game. This is football between KU and Duke. That's what they need to happen. Coach K unretiring would be like the worst day of all time. <laughs> That'd be so horrible. Or would it be the best? Because it would, it would represent everything that... Anyway, uh, this one from Evan, last one. I don't think KU gets blown out this weekend and would even think they cover. In the event KU does get smacked, though, what should KU fans think following the game? Don't panic. 
realize that maybe this year we will only beat lower-level Big 12 teams in Duke. What do you kind of think here? This is interesting because the expectations surrounding this Houston game have changed drastically, Mm -hmm. and that's probably an understatement. I think most people going into the season were looking at the Houston game and thinking, okay, let's not lose by 30. Now all of a sudden people are talking about let's go win the game. Right, so I, I don't think there's ever been a game that has had this dramatic of an expectation shift in quite a while, really. Just in general, not I mean, not even talking about KU, just in general, really. So yeah, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that KU maybe does kind of have a reset moment in this game against Houston. Houston's Houston's a good team; they're a preseason top twenty-five. So you know, what if what if it is forty-five to ten or forty-five to seventeen, and KU just gets just whopped? What happens? I think that, huh. like, you wouldn't lose everything. It would be a no, disappointing no. on Saturday. No. But, like, still, if you look at a big picture, if you said, hey, KU's going to be 2-1 and one heading into the Duke game, you would say, yeah, yes, take that, right? Yes. For the most part. I think um, it would be much worse if it had happened against West Virginia. You know what I'm saying? Like, hmm. if they were 1-0 beating Tennessee See, that's Tech, a good question. And then they go and they get beat up by West Virginia. Well, you'd rather have the Big 12 win, but also at the other end you would have the – like, there would be more direct momentum coming into the home game. You know what I mean? Where it was, like, more recent, the recency bias part. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I think I don't think it would be that terrible if KU did get blown out. I mean, no, it would be bad, no. obviously, but, like... I think it's more of a lost opportunity. Yeah, big picture-wise, you know, it would probably be fine. Yeah. You'd big, still be in a position to win three, four games. Right. Big picture-wise, yeah, it, it would be fine. Um I think that it's more of a lost opportunity in the standpoint that if you do have a close loss or if you even win, are we talking about a sellout against Duke or at least darn near it, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if it's a close game, it, it, you keep it might the be momentum close. up. Now, the, the, the Whereas if you get blown out, it's probably still a good attendance, but maybe it's closer to 35. So we can look at it for this for two ways. The attendance for the Tennessee Tech game was what, 37? It was like 34. 34? Mm-hmm. So that's like, that's like three-fourths of the stadium. Yeah. Right? Like, the stadium capacity is, like, what, 47? It's, like, 50-something, 52. No, because they built the field goal club, so now they Oh, that change it up? Yeah, because you can't Let's even, just say it's... Nobody can sit in that section okay. of the bowl. So, I think it's closer uh, 48, to, like, 48, 49. 48, 49, right? Sure. So, the, 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 the bad news, though, would be you're playing Duke, which is not a team that's close and probably is not going to travel a lot. So, it would have to be, right, like, all KU, obviously. Mm-hmm. So that I, that, I think, makes it a little less likely that it's going to be a sellout because, what, the, the only other sellout KU's had recently was against K-State uh, in the year of Les Miles, which obviously that was, there was, depending on who you ask, there was more K-State fans there than there wasn't, right, which is kind of a ridiculous argument. But the point is that was a sellout. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you can't deny that K- K-State traveled, obviously, to that game because of its, because of its significance. Whereas I don't think you're going to get 10,000 Duke fans or 5,000, even no, 5,000 Duke fans yeah. coming to that game. So it'd have to be all KU. Yeah, I, but I do I do think that there will be, you know, some immediate panic of like, oh, maybe this just team wasn't as good right away. But I think once we get to like Monday or Tuesday, it'll be like a, okay, step back, they're 2-1, and one. Houston's just a good team coming off a tough loss. And if they go in and beat Duke, then you get kind of everything back. But thank you to everyone who uh, submitted questions. We'll have another one of those next week. For Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. We'll be right back after this timeout for our KU Club interview brought to you by Johnny's with KU Crew. Our KU Club interviews continue on, brought to you by Johnny's Tavern. We've got a couple athletes here with us from Kansas Crew, Jude Butler, who is the KU Crew president, and Josh Ryan, who is the captain of the 
KU crew team. So, uh, Jude, I guess, first of all, what, what I guess, does it entail being the president of, of the KU crew club? Um, I, you know, it, that's a good question. This is uh, the first year doing it, and, you know, I'm kind of just looking at it like running a business. Uh, the crew as a club in the past has been one of the largest clubs um, at KU with over 100 athletes at one point, and COVID kind of killed that. And so we're, we're bringing it back, and we're uh, – no, just looking to grow it as much as possible this year. Well, uh, for you, Josh, you know, Captain Wise, how, how much are you having conversations with Jude about stuff and, and getting everything together? Yeah, what's going on? I'm uh, So I, I actually talk with Jude probably about every day. Um, Jude and I work really closely in just uh, trying to uh, facilitate just the success of the team. Um, I really focus on with just the athletics and the performance, and Jude focuses on, um, yeah, just the logistics of how we can be successful as a crew. Um, and so we collaborate about every day. Yeah. And so uh, I guess, I don't know, uh, both of you guys can answer this or, or Josh or whoever. Like, what goes into the sport itself? Because obviously, mm-hmm. you know, when you hear Kansas crew, you go, oh, I, maybe yeah. I understand what you're doing. But what are the competitions like? Like, yeah. what goes into being successful? Yeah, there's so much to rowing. Um, I think it's one of those sports that you really don't understand what's going on until you actually do it. Um, I would say in terms of competition, um, we're there to race. We're there to uh, just make boats go fast. Um, But we're competing from people um, all over the Midwest, and we even go to national competitions um, in the fall. Uh, There's a regatta called the Hooch, where I think it's the third largest just regatta in the world. Um, it takes place here. And then uh, we have the um, ACRA's National Championships for collegiate rowing in the spring. Um, so we basically spend year round just trying to prepare for those regattas, for those races. Um, but every day uh, we're on the water going out uh, in the morning for the varsity. We're out there at 6 a.m. every morning. Um, yeah, just putting in the strokes. And uh, rowing is a, it's a, it's a very hard sport. There, you have to put in a lot of meters if you want to do well, but it has a it has a very high skill curve, and so uh, for a lot of new rowers when they start, um, it takes it takes a while. But uh, once you get going, um, you're in a boat, you're going fast, um, and you're gliding on top of the water. It's one of the best feelings, um, and you're working together as a boat uh, with the crew with eight other guys, and when you all are in swing in time, going fast, um, and you win a race, that is one of the best feelings, one of the most rewarding feelings. Yeah, so is that is that the most important thing, just having everybody in sync with each other? And, and what are some of the different, like, you know, it's it's not like football where you have a quarterback mm-hmm. and receiver, but I'd imagine there are different types of, I don't know, positions or rowers or, or yeah. something like that on the team. Yeah, so we, uh, we have two kinds of boats um, that we race here for KU Crew. Um, the first being an eight. Um, so you've got eight people uh, plus a coxswain, and then we uh, race four, so four people and a coxswain. And so the coxswain is like... Uh, the captain of uh, the boat, if you will. Um, they have control of the steering. Um, normally, uh, coxswains are very light, very small people, um, but they have to be very mentally sharp, um, always on top of things, navigating the boat, um, but also giving people commands. Uh, we kind of give this, um, I guess, uh, metaphor of uh, the coxswain is the driver and the rowers are the engine. Um, and so going through the boat um normally we've got bigger guys uh, towards the back of the boat toward, towards the uh we call it the stern that's the back of the boat and then the bow is the front of the boat 
Um, and so we, what we do is called sweep rowing. Uh, you have one oar on one side and that just alternates um, through all eight people. Um, and placement is just based off of, yeah, just uh, size and whatever and skill. Um, but that's about it. Um, but it, again, it's a very technical sport. You've got to know what you're doing. Um, so simple yet complicated, yes. right? It's, it's yes. mastering the simplicity, oh, yes. which is oh, yeah. impossible, right? Yeah. But, but that's the beauty of it, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess Jude, I'll start with you here on this. Like what got you into crew to begin with? You know, that, that's really a funny question. I was, um, sitting down in my dorm room, uh, just kind of looking at the clubs, uh, and the possibilities of you know, the different organizations on campus that I could join. And um, just from high school, I, I really wanted to be uh, heavily involved in athletics. And so I was looking for um, athletic teams to join. And so I looking down and I see the crew team, I was like, well, you know what? If they have cuts, I'm probably most likely getting cut because I've never <laughs> heard of the sport before. Yeah. But, um, you know, I went out and I, I loved it. I joined last year and that was the first time I'd um, taken the water in one of those boats. And like Josh said, there's really no feeling like it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's that's the one thing that I really push and for, you know, people wanting to join the team is just come out and try it and just get on the water just a practice or two mm-hmm. and um, just hopefully they'll fall in love with the sport like yep. I did. So do you, as, as the president, are you getting to participate on the team as well or are you more doing the, you know, above above the water stuff? You know, it's 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 funny. It's kind of like a part-time job. I'm I'm up in the morning. I get up at five, practice at six every day, like everyone else. I'm I'm in the boat with them. Um, I'm kind of uh, in the trenches with them, if you will. And um, yeah, you know, I I spend my day just coordinating uh, different events and things that we have, mm-hmm. just kind of going on in the background. A lot of things that things that you know the rowers aren't thinking about. Um, just you know, just in the moment, you know, I'll let them know like, hey, we've got this event coming up, and we need mm-hmm. people to show up, but. You know, I'm I'm kind of organizing that. I'm talking with people throughout the university, um, coordinating travel plans and everything for the whole year. So it it is a lot of work, but uh, it's it's really rewarding to be able to to go and travel with uh, a group of people that you're so close to and uh, be able to compete on mm-hmm. such a collegiate um, level. Well, Josh, what about you? What got you into yeah. crew? So I actually started rowing in high school. Um, rowing in the Midwest is uh, it's on the the come up. Um, more and more clubs are showing up and getting bigger. Um, COVID uh, played it, its part, whatever. Um, but even then, like all all crews are recovering. Um, but I started in high school and I was looking for a spring sport. I I was a freshman. Um, I'm from St. Louis, and so um, I ended up joining SLRC and I learned how to row there. Um, but that experience for me was just completely pivotal. Uh, like Jude was saying, like it was just completely transforming. Um, and I got addicted to the sport. And <laughs> I, I was looking at a couple of schools I wanted to row in college. Uh, but once I got here, um, I, yeah, I spent about a year just not doing anything. And then I got that competitive itch. I was like, I need to compete in something. I'm going out for the crew. I'm going out for the crew. I'm going to see what it has. Um, and I just wanted to race, race and make boats go fast. That's about it. (laughs) (laughs) So as far as like, you know, you said practices early in the morning, how often are they every week? Uh, have you guys already had tryouts? When do tryouts happen? Um, so it's, it's a continual thing right now. Our program, we're really trying to build it. Um, again, COVID played its part. Uh, so pretty much if anybody reaches out at any point and they're like, Hey, I want to, I want to come aboard and and you're like, Hey, come on for a practice. Anytime. Yep. We uh we don't have uh 
any tryouts per se. There's no cuts. We welcome anyone mm-hmm. on the team. We so varsity. It's it's a pretty tall ask to um, say, hey, come try this sport at six in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the varsity, you know, we row in the morning, but we we start our novice in the uh, afternoons at five, mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, yep. uh, on the Kansas River, and so. Our, our coach is there for both practices, and you know, when once uh, once they start really getting into it, once they like reach a commitment level to where they're wanting to come to these practices in the morning to get better, that's kind of where you kind of see them mm-hmm. make the push to come to the morning practices. But we're trying to just be as inclusive as possible in yep. getting as many people into the sport. So as far as like times for practices, we we try and have the most um, most availability for. Um, uh, everyone's schedule just to give yeah. them a taste of the sport. Yeah, we've had a very good novice show out too. Um, we're always inviting more people out, come out, try it out. And as far as the the events themselves, you mentioned you know sometimes you're going to different regattas. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how far are you guys traveling away, and and how often mm-hmm. are the events? What are the events like? Yeah. So I'll, I'll let I'll let Josh kind of explain what the events yeah. are like. Um. So we we travel all over. Um. We've got a race in Oklahoma City coming up. Um, and then we, uh, have a race in Wichita a month after. Um, but yeah, our, for a race, we're traveling probably about a state over or two states over. Um, last spring break, we actually went down to, um, uh, Louisiana and we had spring break training down there. Um, and so there's a lot of traveling involved, uh, but these regattas are, they're massive events. Um, they're, a lot of time is spent putting that together um, to make it a nice, fun venue for people to come spectate the sport, but also for competition. Um, and I've gone, yeah, I've I've gone to plenty of regattas, um, but the the way that the events are set up is everyone brings their boats, their trailers. Um, you're there probably two to three days, um, just racing. And as a rower, got to get up early, get the boat ready. Uh, be at the boat, launch the boat, go, go race, get medals. That's yeah. about it. But it's so fun. You're outside all day. You meet so many people. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just the one thing about the sport that some of my best memories are just from being with my team on regattas. And I, I'm I'm outside with them all day and I'm just having fun. Yeah, I would say the, uh, the best way to uh, describe it to someone that's unfamiliar with the sport is it's essentially a track meet for the water. Yep, uh, regatta. Yep, makes sense. Well, I, I guess as far as that with travel and everything, like mm-hmm. there's you know obviously a certain cost associated with it. So as far as um, ways that people can help support the program mm-hmm. uh, for you guys, uh, do you put on fundraisers? Do you sell gear? Like, uh, what are you doing to to try to raise some stuff? Sure. So in the past, you know, we are uh, largely a self funded program. Um, so that comes with dues that we pay um, for travel and everything like that. So as we grow, our like the amount of money we get um, is definitely grows as well. Um, we are looking at different uh, potential fundraisers. So um, and just really ramping that up this year as far as like getting out um, uh, different uh, gear and equipment that you can see um, and working with uh, different. Uh, shops and businesses around Lawrence to kind of like team up with them to create um, different like items that they can sell in their shop that is can partially uh, help us. Uh, but as well as for, you know, students um, and just kind of getting our presence known, um, 
seeing us on West Coast Beach. We're mm-hmm. definitely going to have some things yep. like rowing marathons and oh, things yeah. that we can have so people can kind of uh, help us raise money and, you know, we can raise awareness to what we're doing. Um, far into the future, we're looking at hopefully hosting a regatta in yeah. Lawrence. Um, that can be kind of more of a citywide event and mm-hmm. potentially can be used to, you know, raise money for the program, but also, you know, bring people down to the boathouse, something mm-hmm. for alumni that uh, rode years past to to come and see, like, um, you know, where the, where the sport is now at their um, alma mater. And mm-hmm. so that that is one thing that I'm hoping that we can bring in just as a way to um, – have more people come to know more about rowing. Yeah. The uh, the best way that KU students can support our organization or club, literally come out and join the crew. Just come out. Uh, you're going to have a great time. Um, we can guarantee you're going to have a great time, and that's just the best way that we can get support. Come out, join the team. Well, guys, I appreciate you coming in here, and uh, I – Salute to you guys for, mm-hmm. for being brave enough to get up that early in the morning, <laughs> yeah. man. That's that's tough stuff. But Jude Butler, Josh Ryan, appreciate it, guys. And uh, good luck whenever the season starts for you. Thanks Thank so you. much, Derek. All right, that's uh, the KU Crew uh, Club President with Jude Butler and Captain with Josh Ryan. We're brought to you by Johnny's Tavern. You can uh, check out both their locations in Lawrence. And thanks to them for sponsoring our KU Club interviews. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour, Florida Man Mad Libs coming at you in about 15 minutes from right now with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on another edition of RCST. So we're going to go through this kind of quickly here. Some position battles that are continuing on or maybe seem to be kind of coming to a close. I don't know, through two weeks of the season. Let's start with the offense. The, The two most intriguing position battles or positions where you have battles, running back would be the first, and it's it's less at, at running back like a battle. It's more about who's going to get what share of the playing time. And then the other one is tight end. It seems like to me that you're having two guys kind of emerge at the top at both positions with a running back, Daniel Highshaw, Devin Neal. They're the two guys in a tight end. It's Mason Fairchild and Jared Casey. So with Kai Thomas and Trevor Cardell, and if you want to add Savion Morrison and Tory Lachlan, you can as well. It seems like those guys are going to need something to happen. Yeah, it, I, I kind of agree with you, though. I don't think battle is maybe necessarily the right term for it, but like, what other term is there for to describe a, a position what? Like, I'm trying to think on top of my head. Like, battle, like, position battle just, it sounds clean. It flows off the tongue nice. Position battle, right? You got position battle. But, like, a position, like, inquiry? A position, <laughs> a position, uh, I don't know. Position... Like uh, yeah, I don't know. But anyways, t- sorry, I got I got. No, you're fine. There. Sorry, but yeah, back to your point. Yeah, I, I agree. Kai Thomas, it just seems like uh, you know, and we've heard. We, obviously, we heard from Michael Swain. We we we've the message has been very clearly given, which is when you come to this program, you are not guaranteed anything, right? So even though Kai Thomas was a guy who contributed at Minnesota, Gatorade Player or Player of the Year in the state of Kansas when he was in high school. That doesn't mean he earns anything by coming to KU, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's on full display. Because guess what? He got beat out by Daniel Highshaw, who was a walk-on, right? So he, well, I, to be Highshaw was not a walk-on, but wasn't? I, no, well, he, no, no, no. He, but he, he got on scholarship, right? Or he that's Quentin Skinner. I thought Highshaw was the same thing. No, okay, I don't believe so. Never mind. My apologies. No, you're fine. But anyways, the point is, he got beat out by a guy who has now, mm-hmm. you know, 
was in the program was not expected to be that guy once you get Kai Thomas. And yeah, he's coming off a season-ending injury from the year before. Kai Thomas won bowl game MVP yeah. and rushed for over 800. Of course he wasn't expected to beat him out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but again, that just circles back to what what is been we've heard from Lance, we've heard from Andy Kolnick, we've heard from anybody within the program that has a voice to say it, which is you don't get you don't you're not given anything when you come mm-hmm. to KU. You have to earn it. And so with Kai Thomas, you know, maybe that's not to say that at some point this season he might not get a chance to get on the field and show what he can do, but but right now you got a guy like Daniel Hyshaw who's just a really hard runner, right? And clearly that is something that intrigues the coaching staff. I think that's part of the reason why he's earned his spot is he's somebody who runs 110% every time he's got the ball. So You would just think that at some point, yeah, there will be somebody gets bumped up at least for a drive or yeah. a game or something like that that maybe gets an opportunity and maybe he, pun intended here, I guess, uh, takes it and runs with it. You know what I mean? Um, so there still is an opportunity for him there. With Trevor Cardell, that one is not great for him because we heard so much about him in the offseason and he's just pretty much not really getting on the field much. So um, with the way that Mason Fairchild and Jared Casey have played. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue it is. for why he should get on the field, right? Yeah. Because Fairchild and Casey have been so good. I mean, for two consecutive weeks, they've been two of your top run blockers. Fairchild has two touchdowns from one in each game. Jared Casey's made a couple of clutch catches. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to argue, right? And again, mm-hmm. it goes back to what Andy Kolnicki said, which is, Whatever his best players are, he's going to find a way to get him on the field. So you figure if Cardell was a guy who was making impact in practice or was turning some heads, he would find a way to get on the field, and that's not the case right now. Yeah, I uh, I think those are definitely spots that are being, I guess, separated by the top two guys. Uh, defensively, you have Craig Young and, and Gavin Potter still listed at or on the depth chart. Gavin Potter had like two snaps in the game, so clearly he's he's distancing himself there. Um but it's interesting that a lot of those transfers, we talked about this with Michael Swain earlier, are kind of, like, you didn't see them play a ton. Uh, Eric Gilliard played just 14 snaps. Lorenzo McCaskill played just 17 in the game against West Virginia. Marvin Grant played 33 compared to O.J. Burroughs playing 52. Do you take that as it's just going to take these guys time to start getting more snaps or do you take that as, well, they got less snaps than week one, so clearly the arrow is pointing down? I think in the case of Lorenzo McCaskill, he's going to be fine. He's going to end up playing. He had, I think, 25 snaps in game one, but we talked about it on the show, which is part of it was, obviously, it was a blowout for KU, so what better of an opportunity to get a guy into the on the field who's trying to become quickly integrated in your, into your defensive system than a game when you're up big against an FCF's opponent. So that's why he played more. But, yeah, I think... It is a case of, in the case of McCaskill, he's a guy that's going to go on the field more. And I think we've heard from the coaching staff and even Michael Swain told us earlier in the show that Marvin Grant and R.J. Burroughs might be a situation where it's just a matchup type thing, right? Where if you're playing a team that is going to be throwing the ball more, O.J. Burroughs might play more, right? Because we've heard about O.J. Burroughs and his coverage instincts and his ability as as a defender in the past, right? Whereas maybe that that might not be necessarily Marvin Grant's strength, whereas for O.J. Bros it is. So, again, West Virginia Warp is a more of a passing team. Same can be said for Houston, but when they come up against the K-States of the world, the Baylors of the world, that might run the ball a little bit more. Maybe Marvin Grant, you will see him on the field more. So, I don't think there's any reason any reason to be concerned about guys like McCaskill and Marvin Grant or even a, a Kalen Gervin. Eric Gilliard is the one that is interesting to me. Maybe he might be somebody who is more of that adept guy and maybe not necessarily a primary rotation player. 
But for some of these other guys, you know, it just takes time. I mean, like I said, Lorenzo McCaskill showed up on campus, I think, on August 1st, right? Or he was right around that time mm -hmm. when he got to the program. So it's only natural that it's going to take him some time, and I don't think there's any reason to be really concerned. And, and, and again, I think from the O.J. Burroughs and Marvin Grant standpoint, it's like O.J. Burroughs is a guy who's been in the program and has clearly earned a right to play more snaps. So it'll just depend on matchups, I think, really when it comes down to some of these guys. If you had to pick one guy outside of injury, like forget that part of it, one guy on here that you think could still usurp his way into the starting lineup at some point this season, again, outside of injury, it, it sounded like Lorenzo McCaskill would be your answer? Yeah, I think so. I think because he's he think was an yeah. excellent player at Louisiana. He's a, a really good run stopper, which is something that I think KU needs, obviously. I mean, they've looked really good in the against the run in these first two weeks, but he's another guy that could come in and, and, and fill some holes in the run game. So he's somebody that I would look to, but but I don't know that Lorenzo McCaskill would be like a three-down guy, a linebacker. Like he might – I don't know that he would be every single player, every single play, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it would have to – yeah, I, I agree with that part. I, I think it would have to be McCaskill or Grant. Um, but I really like O.J. Burroughs, so I – Exactly. Like at this stage, does it is it – Really I think there's a role that, for both guys. Though. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's it goes back to what we were discussing with Kai mm -hmm. Thomas. Like the OJ Bros Marvin Grant situation is. I don't even know that you necessarily would call it a position battle because mm -hmm. it seems like now we've we've had two consecutive weeks where they've almost been 50-50, right? Like right. this, like fifty two thirty three, fifty two snaps for Burroughs, thirty three for Grant. That's not quite fifty fifty, but like they've obviously both been playing a majority of snaps. Right. Whereas with. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's what it is. It's at least both guys are going to get a role, whereas when yep. you look at, like, a Trevor Cardell or a Kai Thomas, like, or yeah, there could Eric be games where they Eric, only play two snaps. Yeah, or even an Eric Gilliard. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, we uh, are going to take a timeout here. When we come back, we're going to get on to our Florida Man Mad Libs with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. What's the score, by the way? I don't the even know. score is, we'll get to that with Sam, I, I think guess. it's 2-2 two to two in terms of, like, mm -hmm. total wins. In terms of total points, I think you are ahead, but we will double-check with Sam. He's been keeping track of it. Okay, cool. So Sam Speck is going to come in studio, join us. We'll get to those Florida Man Mad Libs in just a second here. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson, joined now in studio by Sam Speck. We uh, have been doing our Florida Man Mad Libs on Thursdays, but now with our High School Sports Weekly show starting up and, and me having to head out, it uh, just didn't become as, as attainable on Thursday. So we have switched it. We are now doing our Florida Man Mad Libs on Wednesdays. And uh, Sam caught up with me earlier today and had me go through some of the different headlines that Nick had last week because I, I wasn't able to, to join that part of the show. Uh, so we are all caught up on everything. Can you give us an update, Sam? Like, what is the score? Yes, we're all caught standings? up. I don't mind this Wednesday idea, by the way. Middle of the week, get your funnies in right before the end of the show. Oh, you know, yeah. Get you a nice This is my favorite segment of the week. Guys. I love it. I love it. Well, Nick was able to actually tie up the series. There's been four Florida Man headline games so far. Two and two is the score. He did make up a little bit of ground, but Derek's still in first place with that 15 to 11 point tiebreaker. So you both are two and two. You've come away with a victory one of each of the two weeks that you had. 
But uh, Derek, obviously, with that big sweep week number three. So here, let me get to my favorites of the week, and then we'll get to round number one. This has got to be the most Florida man headline I think I've ever heard. A Florida man survives in a swamp for three days after being trapped and losing an arm to an alligator. So that is... Wait, this guy survived? He survived, and he and he said, yes. I just... I it, it, it was the courage, and it was the genes inside of me that pushed through. And again, if that was not the most Florida man thing that I've ever heard in my life. And uh, here's a funny one for you, Derek. Lost language found, but no one can read it. So mm. I just, uh, yeah, wonder why. All right, let's get into it, gentlemen. Round number one. Here we go. Again, first round is only one redacted word. And this are all real headlines. Here we go. Man who swaps stepson's medicine. Uh, excuse me. Let's just start that <laughs> over. Man who swaps stepson's medication for blank was eventually found guilty. So, we'll start with the first blank and the only blank here in round one. Man who swaps stepson's medication for Viagra, laxatives, or Percocet was found guilty. So, could be a, a multitude I'm gonna, of options here. I'm going to go with laxatives. I feel like this is like a parent punishing his kid for something like... Stepson, he was, too. He was like, he messed up or he didn't take out the trash or something and he was like, I'll show you. You're never not going to forget to take out the trash again. You're going to be in the bathroom instead. Yeah, the only one that I, I don't feel like would make sense here, which honestly maybe that makes it the answer, is the Percocets. Why would why would a parent just be like, hey, take some Percocets? You know what I mean? Like, that's a pain. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's kind of weird. Um, But then again, if he's could be getting it. arrested, right? No, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, the Viagra one as like a practical joke. Right. Yeah, and then... You know, 14 hours later, they had to call a doctor or mm -hmm. whatever it is. Four, four hours, not 14 hours. <laughs> Read your labels, folks. Oh, All right. Yeah. Yes. All right. So there is uh, number one there, and it is Mr. Nick coming away with a victory here in round number yes. one. So laxatives was it. Man who swapped stepson's medication for laxatives was found guilty in court for tampering with a uh, child's okay. medication. I was about to say, that, that almost seems like child abuse to me. That is exactly what okay. it was. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. it comes down okay. to the, the child's mother at that point. Again, it was his stepson, so maybe some bad blood there. Let's get to round two. Nick comes away with one point, making up some ground here. On the board. Again, these are worth three points if you get both the redacted words. If you just get one, then obviously you get one. So, this is a bizarre one. Florida man arrested after offering to buy a blank for a $100,000 check at a blank. So a Florida man was arrested after offering to buy where did, a blank. Where did this guy get a $100,000 check? And how valid that check would have been is beyond me. So here's your first blank. Florida man arrested after offering to buy a child, a sex doll, <laughs> or a leg for $100,000 at a local blank. You said a leg? A leg, yes. A child? You're worried about the leg. I'm worried about the... the, the <laughs> did you read the other two? Okay, so Florida man arrested for offering to buy either a child, sex doll, or leg for $100,000. Okay. This is... The, um, here's the angle I'm taking on this one. Is that like a pawn shop? Or I don't... I guess we'll find out. But I think it's the leg. But I don't think it's like an actual leg. I think it's like a... I think it's like the Christmas story leg lamp situation. He's ah. trying to buy a leg like some... It's like a... The leg is some sort of decorative furniture piece. I don't really know and exactly. They clear about and it in the also, headline the headline doesn't specify whether or not it's a human leg or not. So it could be any kind of leg. So I'm going with leg. So leg for the first one. Florida man arrested for offering to buy a child sex doll or leg. Derek, what are you thinking? Child is just so obscure. I, I have to take it. <laughs> He's going to go, go like, with child. <laughs> I mean, does that even work? It doesn't. Uh, That's why he's in trouble for this. I mean, arrested for offering to buy a blank for one hundred thousand dollars at a local gas station, at a local grocery store, 
or at a local liquor store. So, again, offering mm. to buy whatever you guys chose in that first blank there for $100,000 at a local liquor store. I mean, based on my answer, I have to, that, like, the most sensible one here is a liquor store. This guy's outside of the liquor store. He's drunk as a skunk. Why would there be a child there, though? The child's like in the car, right? And they pull up in the car. The dad's like, hold on, I got to go inside, grab, you know, a six-pack of beer. Or the mom goes in, I got to grab, and another, you know, and thing of vodka, whatever Another guy is, right? comes up. And the guy comes up and says, hey, I'll buy your child for $100,000. This is, is, I don't so know, this creepy. is weird. Of course that it's creepy, so creepy. But why else would he be arrested? Absolutely. Why else would he be arrested? Yeah, I'm, my leg answer, I'm I'm, I'm going to, I'm changing my, I'm changing my, my story here. Because to, in order to fit it. Okay, I'm going to go with gas station. Maybe this guy, he's at the gas station, and maybe he only has one leg. So he's offered. He walks up. To, he goes up to another. I guess he can't like walk. I forgot my prosthetic he, at home. I guess he can't walk. So mm-hmm. he walks up to another person who's getting gas and says, "Hey, I will buy your leg because I just lost my leg. I don't. Ha- I only have one." Prosthetics leg. are pretty expensive. I'm gonna. Too, so I'm gonna hey. buy your leg. That's a bad. Well, but yeah. see, he got arrested because the guy was like, "You're telling me you're gonna chop off my leg at the grocery state at, yep. at the gas station yep. and then attach it to your body?" Well, and that's to be honest, I'm going, with, I'm going with gas station. So gas station, it uh, it was not. Neither was it liquor store. It was actually a local grocery, grocery store. Yeah. So here's the full um, headline: Florida man arrested after offering to buy a child for one hundred thousand dollars <laughs> at a local grocery store. I can't make it up. I'm telling you. It's, Do you have uh, any more details on this story? Uh, he was arrested short after. I can't imagine that that check was anywhere near valid or wherever it was coming from. Okay, but, so uh, there was a, a nice. Swarm of people in this Florida parking lot that actually were able to help out the situation. The woman felt a little uncomfortable. Obviously. I wonder why. So, I wonder so, why. So, so, mom and little Timmy were going to the grocery store, and, and this uh, guy walks up to him. You should have seen his mugshot, too. I should start bringing you guys <laughs> visuals. As, as, and the guy walks up to him as they're trying to go into to get the groceries. Officers, $100,000. And the guy says, I'll buy little Timmy for a hundred grand. So, uh, Derek, you come away with one point there, evening out the the first two rounds. I really wanted it to be leg, though. Le- and see, I tried to come from left field with all of these. All right, here's a here's a weird one, fellas. Uh, after a night of drinking, and actually, this is one of the first ones that hasn't been somebody arrested, but actually saved. Uh, so, uh, after a night of drinking, a man woke up to use the restroom only to discover he was in a blank and blank. After a night of drinking, a man woke up to use the restroom only to, to discover that he was in a different state, in a boat, or in a coffin, and blank. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was going to go a different state, but coffin is just sitting there, and it's very enticing. Are you going to go with coffin? Do you locking it in? I'm locking in coffin. All right, Give me coffin. coffin for the first one there. Derek, again, discovered he was in either a different state, a boat, or a coffin. What are you feeling? I'm going to go boat. My heart is singing to boat. He just randomly yeah. wound up on a boat somewhere. I don't know. And then it's just out adrift in the middle right. of nowhere. All right, here we go. <laughs> After a night of drinking, used uh, to use the restroom, he woke up to discover he was in a blank and either buried and alone or naked. Hmm, this so, is a tough one. Yeah, so you guys have a couple I of... I mean, you chose coffin, okay, so I feel so like you have to take buried. Okay, so here's what I'm thinking here. This guy was really drunk and... He became convinced that he was a vampire, so that's why he ended up in the coffin. He or maybe his friends or whoever he was with convinced him that he was a vampire. Great prank, dude! He, you almost, to, he almost killed me, and that he needed to almost died he buried to, alive in a coffin. He needed to sleep in the coffin. Good one. He needed to sleep in the coffin. What are my options? Buried, buried alone, or naked? See, I, I, I think it might be naked actually. 
I don't think it's buried. Naked in a coffin. What because a, I, I think it's, I, I, again, I think it's the whoever this guy was with convinced him that he was a vampire. And that for whatever reason, he either he lost his clothes or they stole his clothes or something, something happened to his happened clothes. He hit some nice Jordans so on. He was so he just took naked the in, the, in the coffin. And he thought he was a vampire. Buried, alone, or naked? Nick went with naked. Nick or Derek, what do you think? I'm also going with naked. This has to make a story for some reason. I don't know why alone would make this a story. Um, so naked on a boat in the middle of nowhere, and then maybe like the the Coast Guard showed up, and they're like, what are you doing out here? And they saw a naked guy just passed out on a boat. Just, just chilling on that a boat. That actually would make the most sense. Uh, no, after a night of drinking, a man woke up to use the restroom at a festival only to discover he was in a coffin. Mm. Nice. And also buried. So he was buried. Yeah. So it wasn't the the deepest six foot burial. But I should have. Uh, yeah. I should have just stuck with the vampire story and said they buried. I was gonna it. say you were on the right track. Yeah. You just went. I just. I. I. I, I overthought that one. I overthought that one. I All right. Here we go, boys. Final one. Nick with another point on the board. Man arrested trying to steal a blank by stashing it in his blank. I know these are classic <laughs> down in Florida. We have every every week we have one of these. A insert drug into his behind. <laughs> Something of that manner. Yeah. Okay. So again, here it is. Man arrested for trying to steal a blank by stashing it in his blank. And the first blank is a man arrested trying to steal a dog by stashing it in his blank. By trying to steal a rack of ribs, full rack of ribs, by stashing it in his <laughs> pants. Or by trying to uh, steal a bicycle by stashing it in his blank. This is another tough one. I, I I feel like it's not dog. The rack of does ribs. Does bicycle just, make more sense than dog? I think it does. <laughs> I think the bicycle makes more sense okay, than the okay. dog. But I actually think it's rack of ribs. Mm. I think this guy, he's having a cookout or something. And whatever rack of ribs he had, or whatever he had bought for the cookout, turns out was like spoiled or was no good anymore. And it was like... Right before the cookout, so he needed something quick. So I he sprinted down to his local X grocery store, or whatever, and he needed the rack of ribs. So I'm going rack of ribs. Rack of ribs for the first one. Man arrested for trying to steal a blank dog. Rack of ribs or bicycle, Derek? Yeah. So I I don't think it's dog because I don't know what store you would go to. Like so you don't go to the st- but it's not. There's no store. No, 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 no. no. But but here's what I'm saying. Like there's not a store that you go to. Where you would be able to just like, Stash like that. Oh, let me grab. I, I know. Hold on. That you would be able to like, like go to. Hey, go to aisle nine and you can grab the dog off aisle nine, right? If you're buying a dog, you have to go to a breeder, right? Or you have to go to it could be like a, a pet store. I don't. I don't think pet stores sell dogs anymore. Or you have to go to like a, you know, like the Lawrence Humane Society, right? But those dogs are are in like cages or crates well, okay. or something where what you if have it's to. Like, uh, what if it's like just somebody on the street? With walking their dog, and the guy's like, hey, "I'm gonna steal your dog." I don't think that's what would happen. <laughs> because then, how do you? How do you? You're like, "Hey, I just stole your dog. Now let me hide it in my pants." He'll never hide, I, or hide it in what? We I'm just we saying. We, have, think, we don't know what the I what think is, dog is the, is the least least plausible. So, um, it's for me between the other two, which I guess the ribs is just like abhorrent because clearly you're gonna eat them later. So it's like, why are you stuffing those down your pants? So we don't know where he's stuffing them. There, we I, haven't gotten to the second okay, blank. Okay, I'm sorry. You're, you're just, in yourself. my head, I'm like, where is he stuffing them? It either has to we be his pants or options. his shirt. We haven't but even if, heard the, if the verb. If the verb is stuffing it, but it could be like his car trunk. It could be like you know his. Uh, I'm going by. Spirit. I don't know. What, it doesn't. It doesn't. We don't know. We haven't heard. We haven't heard the options. Well, in my head, that is how I'm viewing <laughs> it, and I'm going bicycle. It's just ridiculous. 
but we've heard other ones of these before where it's like, how do you stuff something like that <laughs> in a small area? How do you stuff, right? I'll, I'll take bicycle. Let the imagination round. Yeah. I uh, caught a, a good humor out of that. Uh, where do you sell your German shuttles? Oh, uh, over on uh, right. seven over there. I'll be like, yeah. oh, I'm pretty <laughs> sure you. Some, can, I'm pretty sure you can go to PetSmart and get a dog. From I don't think you can. You can get like a hard. fish or something. But like, imagine some like some like 65 year old lady and she's up there and she's like, hey, I, I really want to get a dog for my <laughs> my grandson's um or, or for my son's you know graduation from college or something like that. And she's like, can, can you help me reach higher? And she's like, of course. You just grab the, grab you know, it and, and grab ready the dog. to roll. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a store that I would be interested in because I love dogs. Uh, I'm very curious to hear what the actual uh, So are. it is uh, by stashing it in his pants. I mean. His son's <laughs> Fisher Wheel wagon. It, wait, or his what? wife's purse. Do you know what the, or Fisher Price. Fisher Price. Fisher oh, Price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I got wagon, you. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fisher Price wagon, his pants, or his wife's purse. <sighs> So he's trying to stuff one of those three options into his pants, his son's wagon, a child's wagon, may I uh, note that, or his wife's purse. We're getting the whole family involved here. Mm. All right. I I think because I chose baby back ribs or whatever ribs, I, I don't know, what kind of ribs, does it matter? Yeah, the just ribs. A, just a rack, rack of ribs. ribs. Yep, full rack, okay. 12 of them. I, I, what would make most sense would be in his pants, but to go along with the story of this cookout situation, I think what happened was... Whatever he had was bad or whatever he had was spoiled. So he quickly hustles to the store with his child. And he's like, hey, I'm not going to get out of this store with the rack of ribs in my pants. But if I put it in my child's They'll wagon, never suspect my four-year-old. Never, yes, exactly. <laughs> they will never suspect that the ribs are actually mm -hmm. with my child. So I'm going to go with the the, ch the child's Fisher-Price wagon because he's, he's in a hurry. He's not, he's not thinking. This guy's already not thinking clearly because he's so stressed out from his cookout. He's just trying to get the ribs and get home. And he lives in Florida. And he lives in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> so he rushes to the store with his child because obviously it's a family cookout, so he's got his kid with him. Yep. So and he, the kid has the Fisher-Price wagon, and he's like, boom, I'm just going to put him in there. Nobody's going to know. It would be hilarious if he tried to set the child on top of the ribs and just scoot <laughs> on right out the store. Okay, Derek, in his pants, the Fisher-Price wagon or his wife's purse, where are you going with this? I'm going to go pants. That was like the assumption I was under the whole time that it just with a bicycle? made no wow. sense. But I don't know. In <laughs> Idiotic guy. Could be know. the wildest things. All right, boys, as we wrap up another great week of Florida Man uh, headlines, here is the full headline, and I even have a little bit more for you on this one. A man arrested trying to steal a full rack of ribs by stashing it in his pants. Mm. Oh, he was also was found pants. with two country fried chickens, mashed potatoes, <laughs> and an entire package of Kaiser Roll buns. Wow. See, okay, but Bold. my theory is right. He was trying. Could have been. Yeah, he's trying to get. It to was a cookout, and he it, whatever he had before something was late. My question on the fried chickens and mashed potatoes was: Were they cooked? Was like a, I mean, they, were, they, they were done. It was no, like a this gourmet. Is, yeah, this is funnier if you envision him going to the deli and getting it, and him just like taking a scoop of the mashed potatoes <laughs> and just like dunking it down there, as opposed to like prepackaged mashed potatoes oh, or something. Saying. So he's walking around with like cooked fried chicken. <laughs> oh, it's just not like good. It was not pants. a good scene. Yeah. I, I can't imagine the arrest scene on that one. Well, boys, it looks like it was pretty even. I think. Nick came away with one extra point today. Mm -hmm. I will do the extra tallying. So it looks like Nick moves to three and two. But with Derek, uh, again, gaining that one point on today, it will uh, if he gains back that standing, he will have the uh, the tiebreaker. Mm. But for now, Nick moves back into first place with a victory this week. I will uh, Dude, do it I, again for you I next keep, week. Can't wait. I keep out thinking myself on some mm. of these, man. Yeah, you got to think simply All right, sometimes. quick one for you. It's my blank's birthday. Okay. For you, Sam. Blank's birthday. It's my blank's birthday. 
It's your, my father's birthday. Nope, my mom's. Happy birthday, mom. There this is Rock Sorry, Happy mom. birthday, Sorry, mom. mom. Happy birthday, mom. <laughs> That's Florida Man Mad Libs. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN.